We've been doing a series on identity, and in this series, we are talking about who we really are, and that when we understand who we really are, we believe who we really are, that we are able to exercise the authority, that, out of the authority that God is giving us, we are able to exercise power. We, we move in power, and the power heals. And we began with this idea that, uh, why, why do we need to talk on identity? You know, we read this in the Word, we know that we've been called these things. Well, it's because we, we, we believe a lot of things about Jesus, but the hardest thing that we struggle to believe is what he says about us. It's what he says about, we believe he rose from the dead. We believe, you know, that all, all these things that he says, you know, no one gets to the Father through me. That's a crazy claim, right? No one gets to the Father except through me, that I am God, that I am the resurrection. I'm, we believe all these things, but when it comes to what he says about us, we really, really struggle to believe that. And the reason we struggle to believe that is because that when we become a child of God, we move in authority and power, we move the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. That there is a war, we're trying to expand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the enemy comes against us. But the enemy cannot attack Jesus because the enemy has been defeated by Jesus. Okay? And so in the battle, in this war, he attacks us. Because we are the ones that are building the kingdom of God. And the way that he attacks us, the primary way that he attacks us, is by getting us to believe that we aren't who Jesus says we are. Because if we believe we are not who Jesus says we are, sons and daughters, kings and queens, then we, we will not move out of the authority. We won't believe that we have the authority we've been given to exercise the power we have to fight against Satan to fight against the darkness. And when that happens, there is no power. There is no, we cannot win war. It is a spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. You cannot try harder. You cannot be better to make this war, to win this war. The only way that we attack Satan is in the spirit, is in the power of the spirit. And if he lies to us and we believe that, no, that's not who I really am, then we will never ever step out into our authority and pray with power that reality okay now that's why we're doing identity this is the last week of identity and then we're moving in to the spirit of the spirit of the disciplines where we're going to talk about how God has uniquely shaped us the tools that he's given us to kind of grow in who we are so out of our identity how do we grow that identity how do we become stronger we'll be starting that next week but today I want to talk about um, how the enemy attacks us and what that attack looks like so we can be aware of it and so that we, how do we move against it? How do we fight that attack that the enemy brings us? Because we can't just try harder because that's works, right? We, can't, we just don't do more, but there is effort. There's something clearly that we're called to do. And we're going to use the story of um, Jesus being tempted to kind of lead us in that. But before that, you know, I want to tell you, um, which I think sets up this talk, because we struggle to believe that Jesus was really tempted the way that we've been tempted, right? We struggle to, to believe, well, can I really, I mean, he was the son of God. So like, really, can he relate to everything that I struggle with? Can I really trust and bring everything to him? Um, and so on my first date with Laura, she was so excited, so fired up. I mean, she was giddy as a child in the candy store. And, um, and so I thought I'd impress her, like with my... Sophisticated, you know, what I am, and, and take her to this movie that was out called The Last Temptation of Christ. 
right? I know. It was like this controversial movie. And I'm like, I'll show her how like, like, you know, like how awesome I am and like edgy Christian. And so, and there's, it's like we show up and there are picket lines going in front of the theater. I'm like, oh man, this is really going to make me look bad, schnizzle, awesome. And so we like wade through the lines, you know, and I'm being all cool, driving and protecting her. Come on, baby, come on. And I didn't say baby because it was our first date. I was playing it cool. And, uh, you know, so we make it through these lines and it's kind of, it's intense. People are like yelling at you and shouting at you like, demon lover, you are the spawn of Satan. And then I was like, be silent. No, I wasn't doing that. I, I was not doing that. But, um, but you get to the movie, and the premise of the movie is this, is that um, you know, whenever the enemy leaves Jesus at the end of the temptations in Luke, it says that I will come after you at another opportune time. Okay? And so he, the, the premise is, is that when Jesus is on the cross and he's dying, that he comes, this is whenever he is most vulnerable. This is whenever he is weakest. And so he comes to Jesus as this guardian angel. Okay, and Jesus goes into this like vision and this trance and this angel takes him back and basically says like you, God loves you. He has grace for you. You're his son, all truth. And then he says, and he wants you to be happy and he wants you to have a full life. He wants you to have a family. And so in this vision, Jesus comes back and he takes her to Mary Magdalene. He marries Mary Magdalene, and then he has children with her, and then she dies, and then he takes Martha and Mary as wives, right? Um, and he has children with her, and they live a, a happy life. They live a happy life, and then they show him at the very end of the movie up on the cross, and uh, he kind of snaps out, or the last thing that happens is he he comes to the cross and he's begging the Father, please let me die for the sins of the world. Please let me become who you created me to be. Please let me be my identity. Let me be who you made me to be. And he snaps out. He snaps out of this trance and he's on the cross. And of course, he dies for the sins of the world. Now, I love that movie. I love the movie for a number of reasons. One of the reasons was like everybody's talking about Jesus, Right. And it's like a target on your back. You're talking about me. Oh, here we go. Like, you're belonging to me now. And so people are talking about Jesus. They're talking about spiritual things, which for Christians is always a good thing. I love when controversial, controversial movies come out that are spiritual, even if they're jacked up and weird, because it creates opportunity as Christians for us to engage those people. And engaging those people, we get to talk about the truth. We get to talk about this is who you really are. This is who they say you are. That's a lie. But this is who you really are. But the main thing I liked about that movie was that it, it made me realize that, man, Jesus did struggle with everything I struggle with. It says that Jesus struggled with everything I struggled with, which means he struggled with having a wife. He struggled with having and wanting children. He struggled with with, with having this, in the Jewish culture, it was a big deal. It's like how your lineage went on. He, you know, his identity being in his, his family. He didn't have that. And he struggled with all the things at another level that I realized he struggles, he struggles with. And it made Jesus more able for me to go to him, more able for me to trust him with parts of my heart that were dark or that, where there was struggle, whether, whatever. There's a lot of things that my heart struggles with. And so... Um, but I love that. 
I love that because it, it, I think it's like God's inviting us into a savior and a mediator that is amazing and that under, really understands us and really loves us in, the spi- in spite of that and calls us to him so that we can have victory over those things that he had victory over. And so we're going to look at, um, you know, he says this in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, no temptation has overtaken you and that is not common to man. The God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when, when the temptation, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the promise of God, right, is that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. But is that, if I said, raise your hand, if, if you, if you, yeah, I've never been tempted, and I, you know, beyond what I can, and, I, and therefore I've never sinned, because God has always given me a way out, and I've always taken it, right? No one would raise their hand, or if you did, you would be a liar, okay? And everyone in here would know that, because we all struggle with sin. There's no one without sin. You know, we need Jesus, but even after we're sanctified in Christ, we battle and we're told that we're going to struggle with sin. And there are, Paul says this, that there are going to be times when I fall. And so, so what do we do when that happens? What do we do when we're, we realize I'm identical, I identify with Christ, I am the Son of God, I believe these things. Yes, I'm not going to be, be tempted beyond what God, you know, what, anything I can handle. And he's always going to provide a way out, but I fall. I fall. And in the temptation that we see when the enemy's coming at Jesus, we see him being tempted like we're being tempted as a man. And we see him resisting the evil one in the the way that he attacks him and becoming victorious. So that in him, when we come to him, we too can be victorious. And you're going to see in this that repentance and coming to Jesus is the way that we stay who we really are. That we become who we really are, but even stronger each time. And so I want to unpack that. But first I want to read the scripture in Matthew 4, 1 to 11. It says this. And before I say that, I want to say this. Each time that Jesus is attacked in this uh, story with Satan, he begins by defending himself by saying, it is written. Second temptation, it is written. And then he says, be gone, Satan, for it is written. And in that, we, we see this reality that Jesus sees the word of God as being powerful to push the enemy away. We see the word of God. Jesus doesn't look at, he quotes the Old Testament. He, he, you know, he sees the Old Testament. He sees all of God's word as relevant, as powerful and necessary to defend himself against the attack of the enemy. And so whenever we read the word, just know there's power. There's power going out. Whenever you hear me preach the word, there's power going out. Because it's not me who's bringing those words. It's Christ in me. That's who I am in Christ. And I'm saying the words that he wants you to hear most of the time. Okay? And so this is Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, 
Throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a, high, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Father, we pray that you would open the word to our hearts, that, that your word would be powerful today and that we would, we would be changed and transformed into who you created us to be. Um, and so what do we see from this? First, we see what? The devil is a tempter, okay? The devil is a tempter and he came after Jesus and so he is gonna come after you, all right? He's not sitting back. He's not chilling out, just kind of like, oh, what's gonna happen? Let's see what Antley does, all right? He's, that's not what he does. He knows he's at war. We might think we're at war, but usually we don't. And so he sees us, he sees our vulnerability, and he attacks us. Jesus was vulnerable. It says he was hungry. He'd been fasting 40 days. And so he waited till he was weak, and he went after him. It says like a roaring lion, he, de he desires to devour us, to come for us, to kill us, to steal from us life. And so the first thing we see in this, in this war, in this, in this attack of who he is, is that he is coming for you. He, and he is serious about it. And if we don't get serious about it, we will get devoured. We will get devoured. We will get swallowed up. And we will stop believing who we really are. He's not waiting for you to mess up. He is coming for you. He is the source of your fall. He is the source of your temptation. Okay, it says that God will not tempt us. So if God will not tempt us, and this is a spiritual battle, he is the one. And he sees your vulnerabilities. He sees your weaknesses. You can testify to this. If you have a struggle in your life, it probably is repetitive. It probably is the thing that the enemy comes after again and again and again. And, and what happens is that's him seeing our vulnerability. That's him seeing where we are weak and him attacking us. And so we're healed you know, God heals us, we trust him more, and then, and then what happens? The enemy attacks us, and we struggle, and we fall, and then what happens? Okay, then God comes, and he heals us, and we become stronger. And so we can resist him more. But he comes after us again, and again, and again. Now, I don't want to speak that over you if you have something, because God is in the job. He heals, he restores, okay? And there are probably areas in your life that you've been attacked, and you don't struggle with anymore, okay? And the enemy doesn't tempt you anymore in that area because he knows he's going to lose. And so he goes back to the areas where you will be weak. And this is what it says about the devil. You are of your father, the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees. See, yeah, poor Pharisees. And your will is to do your father's desires. He, it's the enemy, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He lies because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay? And so, like, Jesus is just baptized. This is what happens to us. Jesus is just baptized, right? The, the, the Spirit descends. The Father says something. So in that moment, what's going on? It's one of the few places in the Word where we see the Trinity existing together. 
Okay, so there's power there. Identity is being spoken. There is Jesus united again with what he came down from, from, from what he left. And so like spirit, father, son, he's like, ooh, yeah, feeling good, you know? I love this. I'm back in my posse, right? And so what happens then? Immediately, and his joy and his excitement, the enemy leads him. I mean, not the enemy. The spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted. Okay, and there are a lot of reasons for this, and there are tons of commentaries on this, right? Um, but the same thing happens to us when we become Christians, right? And so, like, think about the time where you began to follow Jesus. How are you feeling in that? How are you, what was your emotional response? Woo, I'm back with the posse, you know? Believe in Jesus. Spirit's in me. Restore to the Father. And you're, like, on cloud nine, aren't you? You're like, man, I have life. I'm forgiven. Sin's gone. Death is gone. I'm going to be with heaven, you know, in heaven forever. This is amazing. I'm going to have life to the full. And you do. You experience that. Then what happens? You go home. You go back to work. You go to hang out with your same buddies that you used to do stuff with. And what do they do? They attack you. The enemy uses them to attack you, to tell you this isn't who you really are, to tempt you back into the life that you once lived. The life that you once lived. And what did we start to do? I wonder... If all that that happened to me really happened to me, I wonder if, if that's really who I am. If that's really who I am. See, whenever the enemy attacks us, he doesn't say, that's not who you are. He says, did the Father really say that about you? Did the Father, I mean, is that really true that, that you're forgiven and that you're with him? Because when we don't believe our Father sees us, like he told us he sees us, we believe lies about him and we believe lies about us. That is much more powerful than us just not believing who we are. Okay, and so we see this. He, you know, he says, we're at war and the spirit leads us out, leads us back into the culture to test our loyalty, to teach us, what are you gonna do when you feel this way? Will you come to me? Will you trust me? And then when you come to me and you experience me, will you come, when you come back into my face, even though he hasn't gone anywhere, we think he has, but he hasn't, will you repent? Will you turn from the thing that led you away? Will you choose to not believe the lie and trust that I will forgive you? Repent from the things that you have done and come back into intimacy as Christ comforts us. First Peter says this, 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you, upon you, to test you as though something strange were happening. I love saying this quote. It's like you're in a war and you're down in the, in the foxhole, right? And you're like, people are like, you're, there's an enemy and he's coming for you. In that war, would you imagine the soldier being like, hey, let's get out of the foxhole. And they get out of the foxhole and people are shooting at them. They're like, what the heck? People are shooting at me. Why are people shooting at me? Because they're in a flipping war. Why would you be surprised that you're attacked? Well, one reason is because you believe the lie that some of Christians tell you that when you become a Christian, everything's like, woo, 
Woo, this is awesome, you know? And, and like pain goes away, life goes away. We're supposed to be happy all the time, which again is what? Who's that from? That's from the enemy because it's a lie. That's a lie. So you need to stop telling that to each other, okay? You need to stop it. You need to be honest. Whenever you lead someone to Jesus, you need to be honest about the enemy. Don't like, I want to get another notch on my belt. Mm. And Jesus just loves you. He always loves you. Don't worry about anything else. And when you... When you become a Christian, you have a big house, big car. You're going to have all these things. It's going to be awesome. That's a lie. That's a lie. And then when they get involved and people start shooting at them, they jump back in the foxhole and they never come out. They never come out. They don't exercise their power and authority. And then the enemy wins. He wins in their life and he wins in what they would bring to the kingdom. Okay. And so in this journey, we're tempted and then we fall. And then how we feel. We feel guilty. We feel shame. Instead of running to God, we run, we, we run away from God. Now, why would we do that? Because that's what we've always done. In the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? See, the eyes were open, shame, guilt, and they hid from God. They hid from God. And the next thing that happened, I love this. Is, is what did God do? He came looking for them. He came after them. And so this is one of the truths and the promises of temptation and when we, when we fall. When we are tempted and we fall in temptation because the enemy's coming for us, the truth is also the Father is coming for you. The Father is pursuing you. The Father wants to restore you to who you are. Okay, it's not up to us to start doing things. It's up to us to just respond to the father when he asks, where are you? What are you doing? Don't you know I love you? You're my son. Our job, and I'm going to talk about this next, is that we we step into the light. We bring those things. We bring ourselves into the light before God. Okay, now, the next thing that we see is um, God coming after them. And then the next thing that happens, it talks about Satan. So what does he do then? He accuses them. He's the accuser. So we, we're tempted, we fall, and that he accuses us. And again, like I said, he's lying about who the Father is. He's lying about who we are. And he's saying things like, well, if you were really a Christian, I mean, would you have done that? If you were really a Christian, then you probably should have done this. And he starts accusing you. So you fall into temptation and guilt. You know, you're feeling bad about these things, you know, because you have the spirit living in you. You've never felt bad about them before. And the enemy comes along through people and through us and they make us feel worse. They try to rob us. This is where he tries to rob us of our authority, rob us of our identity. OK, and so he's tempts, he accuses and then he keeps beating us down. He keeps beating us down again and again and again so that we feel worse and worse and worse. That's why we have to teach on identity. Because some of us here today feel beat down. Some of us here today feel like they've been beat down in an area that there's no hope. They have no hope. You feel like you have no hope. That you've been beat down and you, you really question. You're really questioning a little boy came to, the, to me during, just before the service in the pre-service prayer, and he goes, uh, he goes, I have a question. He says, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. He says, I'm not sure that, um, 
that I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not sure. And he just started listing these things, these doubts he had. And I said, dude, everyone struggles with that. That's normal. I said, everybody struggles with that. That's normal. The Lord's strengthening your faith. He wants you to come back to him. He's trying to, to, to pull you back so he can strengthen you and remind you of who you are. But we have doubts like that. We struggle like that because the enemy is really good, really good at lying to us, deceiving us. So how do we deal with this? We turn to Jesus in our struggle because he has had victory over Satan. He has defeated Satan. So that when we come to him, we can be, we can be sure that when we come to him, we come under him, and he has defeated the very one that is attacking us. Okay, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to Jesus, okay? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In Jesus' temptation, what do we see? him resisting, and him overcoming. Not like God. He could have crushed, dominated Satan. He had all the power. He could have dealt with him once and for all. But he didn't. He functioned as a man, as a man and woman. He stayed and worked out of his humanity dealing with Satan to show us, to show us that he is the overcomer. He is the second Adam, unlike the first Adam in Genesis who fell, who failed, who brought sin into the world. Jesus, this time, conquers the enemy, beats down the enemy, has victory over the enemy, takes the authority that we were robbed from by the enemy and gives that back to us. The first Adam in the Garden of Eden brings death The second into the world. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, brings life. The first Adam, when God approaches him, he says, where are you? And he comes out, and in their nakedness, God slaughters an animal, foreshadowing Jesus and the, and the death of Jesus, to cover their nakedness. To, and Jesus comes and he covers our shame. He covers our guilt. So that we can, by grace, not by anything that we do, but because of what Jesus has done, we can come back to him. We can be restored to him. We can be reminded of who we are. But like Adam and Eve, they have to come out. We have to come out of the light. And when we come out of the light, what do we do? We look at our nakedness. We look at the air we fell in and we repent. We repent. We repent of believing whatever lie we believed instead of believing the truth of who we are. We believe, we repent of believing the lie we believe that caused us to fall, that caused us to not trust Jesus. Okay, so it's like this. The measure of repentance, the measure of repentance that we trust Jesus with is the measure of life that we'll receive from Jesus. I, I said it like this. I, this is an awesome phrase. Tweet this. If you've got your phone out, just get ready to tweet this, okay? You get out of repentance what you give to him. You get out of repentance, not what you put into repentance. You get out of repentance what you trust him with, what you're willing to give him with. Because lots of us will say, oh yeah, I jacked up, I screwed up, and I asked for forgiveness. I'm in the job of sinning, and God's in the job of forgiving, and all is well. 
And you repent to the degree that you're comfortable with. And what happens in that area of your life? The enemy comes after you again. He comes after you again. He attacks you again. Because if we're honest, and I, I really struggle with this. I dealt with this recently. I brought something before the Lord that I've been struggling with. That I, you know, and uh, I knew I needed to bring it for, before the Lord. And so I went before the Lord and I asked him to bring healing in this area of my life. And I knew, I felt in the back of my heart something I wasn't willing to give him. I wanted these, th- I wanted to, be, I wanted these things, and, and, but at the same time, I, and so I didn't want to repent of them. And so what happened was, is I just, the enemy came and attacked me and I fell again. And it wasn't until I fully gave God and just said, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to do it. Whatever I need to yield to, I yield it to you, trusting that you are better than that lie. You are better than that, that lie that I believe that tells me you need this. There was a movie, I mean a show that I watched. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it was like what it is because I got in trouble. I said like some show that was jankity jank one time and few, few, few emails. I can't believe you watched that show. So I'm not going to tell you. Okay, so this show, it's on like major networks, so it's, it's not bad. Okay, but I'm still not going to tell you. And so, in this show, this, this main character um, loves his family, but is constantly sinning and messing up. And in this scene, his daughter walks in on him having an affair. Having an affair. And it was the beginning of her life being transformed in a negative way forever. He went to her. And he's like, well, I messed up. You don't understand. It's complicated. I'm sorry. So he repented. But nothing changed. Nothing changed in his life and nothing changed in her life because he wasn't able to yield and do all that was necessary. All that was necessary so that her life could be redeemed and transformed back into who she was created to be. And he was her father. He was her father. And as a father, if we're unwilling to do those things, or as a, as a mom, if we're unwilling to do those things, go to our children, say the hard things, ask for forgiveness, don't justify the sin, and tell them, I want to do all that is necessary for our relationship to be restored, for your relationship to be restored, for sin to be cast out. Until you do that, it will only get worse in her life, or his life, and in your life. Because that's what sin does. That is a promise. That is a promise. I've seen it worked out again and again and again in relationships. Not just relationships like that. And so we have to yield everything. We have to repent of everything if we want to have freedom in everywhere of our life, in every part of our life. And we see this in Jesus Christ, don't we? We see Jesus going to the cross at the end of his life, yielding everything to the Father, saying, I will give you everything so that I can be who you've created me to be. He's alone and he's isolated from the Holy Spirit. He's isolated from the Father. And on the cross, we see the three of them together again. We see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Spirit. Except this time, life doesn't come Death comes to Jesus. Death comes to Jesus so that we can have life. He sacrifices everything in obedience to the Father so that he can become who he's created to be, which costs him his life, 
so that we can have life. So how do we become and stay who God's created us to be? Repent, yes, but die to every part of who we are. Every desire that we have that is not from God. Everything in our life, everything. If we want to be who God's created us to be, it requires us, it requires us to die to ourselves and to make, to make Christ our Lord in every area. I just want to end with this. Matthew 16, 24 says this to 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his life will find their life, will find out who they really are and be able to stay who they really are and operate about who they really are. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man or a woman give in return for his soul? We have to be willing to bring every lie, every accusation, every temptation, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our, all of our shame to Jesus, who has defeated the enemy, who can restore us, who can redeem us, who can make us whole, and who will, as we become, as we come back into his presence and he heals us, who will remind us who we really are, but we will be stronger. He will, he will remind us that you are a new creation. He will remind us that this is your identity, that you are beloved. You are an image bearer of God. You are the child of God. You are, you are a chosen and royal pre- priesthood. You are God's masterpiece. You are holy and beloved. That you are the temple where he dwells, who he has given authority and who is, he has given power in the war against the evil one, to fight for him, to love for him, and to die for him. That's who we are. That's our identity. Let's stand.